What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Welcome to the WordPress Community Podcast. The essential source for news and information on the most popular blog publishing tool on earth. Learn about the newest updates and plugins, as well as exclusive interviews with WordPress experts that are sure to help you enhance your skill set. Now, please welcome the hosts of the WordPress Community Podcast, Yost Ivok and Frederick Towns. So, good evening. Welcome back to another episode of the WordPress podcast. I'm here joined once again by Frederick, who's back from his trip to... Where were you again, Frederick? I was off in the Philippines for a bit there, actually. Good, good. Um, and we have a wonderful guest, um, Pete um, Pete Cashmore, who's the founder of... Uh, and probably your CEO as well, aren't you, Pete? Yes. <laughs> the founder and CEO of Mashable, with, uh, one of the world's largest word, word, uh, one of the world's largest WordPress blogs. Great to be here. Thanks, thanks a lot for being here. We really, uh, well, we're honoured to have you on. You're usually on on Twit and shows like that, which are like Twit uh, and uh, Twig and yeah, literally Leo stuff. Yeah, which is a few leaps away from what we're doing. So uh, I hope we'll uh, have you have just as much as an enjoyable time here. Um, we we start off with some news, Frederick. If we have any, Not sure. There's enough. a there's a bit. Um, let's start with uh, let's start with the word camps, which uh, I want to make sure that everyone's aware of. Uh, there's a, a couple coming up, uh, Germany. Uh, Boulder, that's Colorado, uh, UK, Nigeria, which is interesting, that's all in July. You can check that out at uh, central.wordcamp.org. Um, also, a couple other interesting things, a BuddyPress update just came out, version 1.2.5. Uh, 
Uh, for those of you who uh, still use WordPress multi-user and haven't upgraded to WordPress 3 and are, are in need of support, uh, know that the, the multi-user forums have closed and all that stuff is being um, uh, combined. It's pretty important to take note of. And let's see if I had anything else. I think those are the really critical things for now. It appears that people are enjoying WordPress 3 if they've noticed any changes at all, but uh, no big... Uh, no big staff foods that I've seen, so that's pretty much it for news. Cool. Okay, so WordPress free is a good point to step in. Is Mashable running on WordPress free already, Pete? It's not yet, actually. Um, we're looking to upgrade, and you know, Frederick, who uh, is our CTO, can fill you in on uh, what our timeline <laughs> is on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're absolutely going to hop over to 3.0 as soon as we can. Yeah, so, in terms of why we haven't upgraded, I mean, it's it's more of a lot of things that we do special that we don't want to uh, experiment with, um, coupled with the fact that I was expecting to see some more issues with uh, with 3.0 than I've seen, and I'm not sure if that's because people aren't using the features or because um, I'm not sure what the reason is, but usually a major release always has some kind of flood of uh, support issues. So. It's interesting actually a lot of the stuff that we did custom was kind of stuff that's now built in natively like you know uh, custom post types which is something that's you know super useful and something that we've always wanted to do and you know we had to do some go rounds on the uh, on the previous version it's really great that they're native but now it takes a little bit more work to uh, to switch those over. Yeah I, you, you've got a, a number of custom post types I can imagine um, is is that something that you, you know, that is really important to Mashable in your in your opinion? Well, I think what we do, and you know, Frederick can talk to this, is we're we're very much a strategy of having channels of content which almost operate like separate blogs, and uh, that's something that wasn't really uh, very native in the install, and we had to kind of put that together. Frederick can certainly talk to the tag piece on that. Well, I think, Yoast, it's a valid question, right? And it's something that everyone's been looking for. You know, how do you make WordPress into uh, more of a CMS when you're more of a, sophisticated is the wrong word, but when you're a more diverse publisher, right? Um, there's lots of things that you can do, and oftentimes multi-user wasn't really necessarily even on the radar for some of the publishers in terms of getting set up. So, you know, uh, we, we've always had this, uh, this need to bend WordPress in different ways um, so custom post types and, uh, and and the ability of WordPress admin to support those natively is, is a huge improvement over 2.9. Yeah, so um, why did you choose for WordPress anyway? And, and how long has it been since you chose for WordPress, uh, Pete? Because Mashable has been around for quite a while. Yeah, it's about um, five years, I think. Mashable's been around and running on WordPress from the start. I mean, we never transitioned. It was pretty obvious to me when I started out you know, like five years ago that WordPress had the better community around it, that it would be something that would be extensible for me. I mean, the other options you had around them were, you know, paid solutions, stuff like uh, movable type and type pad, those kind of tools that are hosted for you. They do a lot more work, but I wanted that freedom that, that WordPress offers you to both run it on your own server and be fairly extensible. But, you know, I wasn't really a technical founder, so um, took a little bit of setup to figure that piece out, but after that it was uh, pretty straightforward to use WordPress, I think. So what is your background? You're not a coder by, uh, by background? 
I'm not actually. I'm, uh, you know, when I was starting at Mashable, you know, I was, was like 19. I was based in Scotland. And I wasn't really uh, able to access, you know, what was happening on the web. And it was, you know, I didn't really have any context there. I didn't have any network. I didn't have uh, either the connections or the knowledge to really get into that space, even though I figured that, you know, the web was going to be absolutely fascinating over my lifetime. And it really has shaped out to be that way. So I really just wanted to get into it. I started writing about it because I had no other inroads that weren't really even, you know, social networks in the way that, that they've evolved now. There was MySpace, but there was nowhere where people, you know, there was no Twitter, there was no even Facebook where people were going to discuss these topics where you could connect with people in the community. Uh, there was none of that. So really blogging was the, was the social network and it was the way to uh, both learn about stuff that was going on the web and to, you know, build a network, build connections. And, you know, for like a year, I was just putting stuff out there and didn't really get much of a response and got comments and was super excited that people were interested in the same stuff. But it really took a while to build up uh, that audience. Um, and WordPress was like the ideal way to do it. It scales pretty well as you grow. Uh, I didn't have any major problems, even though I'm non-technical. And, uh, yeah, I've been really happy with it. Cool. So, Pete, when you started out, how did you get support from the community as you started developing your WordPress skills? I used the forums quite a lot. Uh, I used to, you know, I did the typical thing where you try a, plug, a bunch of plugins and some of them break and then you have to try and find the developer and email them and hope it will help you or go to the forums. Uh, you know, I remember a few sticky situations where the site would, you know, go down when I enabled a plugin and generally disabling it would fix it up. But uh, you know that even that system wasn't quite as robust as it is now. You know, five years ago, four years ago, even uh, you know, glitchy plugins could still uh, take down your site and cause pretty major problems. So uh, I mainly use the forums actually, and I'm sure if you dig around in the WordPress forums, you'll find some really old, stupid questions from like four years ago where I'm like, "How do I do this?" But uh, yeah, now obviously we have a team to help us out with that stuff. Do you feel like uh, there was a turning point when Word when you were it, w it became unequivocal that uh, WordPress was the platform that would move Mashable to the level that it is today? Um, yeah, I mean, once you go past like a million uniques, you're fairly you're on the road to having a fairly big blog, and I think WordPress was pretty stable at that point. I'm not saying we didn't have any headaches; we definitely had a lot of. Uh, issues before we implemented caching um, and I think Frederick was on board as the CTO when some of those started happening as well and really it was about you know having the right caching plugins in there because anyone who's tried to scale WordPress will tell you that it's, it's caching that's the biggest challenge and the biggest headache as you grow you really don't want to be hitting that database too hard. Yos, do you remember years back when, well, what was the update where the Happy Cog uh, UI and UX stuff was implemented? Do you recall? I think it was uh, like uh, Yeah, we have the major, major uh, UI shift in 2.0 and then uh, I think Happy Cog was 2.5, yeah. But that's uh, over a year ago now. Almost well, yeah, two. Exactly. Pete, do you feel like back then when the 2.5 release came out, do you feel like... Um, WordPress was even a better fit to really make a business out of WordPress. I mean, that's really the kind of question I was after. Was that like a, was that release really a, a turning point from the perspective of, oh, I see, these guys are really going to take WordPress the direction I needed. I don't ever need to think about building my own thing or looking at some other product. 
Well, know I think there's, there's never been questions around should we switch off WordPress. I mean, WordPress is obviously a great CMS for people who want to put out uh, content, you know, in, uh, in time order uh, in a blog format. It's great for that stuff. I think once you start wanting to do more tricksy stuff, once you start wanting to do more complex stuff, it is challenging. I think it's still the best CMS to do it on. Um, but it, it's very much set up for blogging and for that traditional blogging. And I think media in particular is evolving beyond that. And, you know, some of the bigger blogs are, are looking to do more complex stuff. Um, and WordPress has limitations around that. So, I mean, I absolutely do think that, that WordPress is the best. And if I was starting out again, I would still use WordPress. Uh, I just don't think it's um, necessarily uh, fully extensible in the directions that, that big media companies want to go. Well, what Mashable does is an enormous amount of publishing, uh, an enormous amount of community building, I think a, a phenomenal amount of value adding with lots of stories and, and uh, you know, and context and input and editorial surrounding them. What do you think, Pete, are some of the, the tips that uh, you would get, I know this is starting off a bit general, but some of the tips that you would give would-be publishers as they're starting out using WordPress, you know, do they schedule posts, do they, how do, you know, how would they maybe work with an editor, you know, give us a couple things that just come to mind maybe that you think would help people getting started. Most of our audiences, you know, are, are is, uh, people getting started in DIYs and, and people looking, looking to you for some uh, tricks of the trade. Sure. I mean, I think the key thing for um, for starting any blog is figuring out, or, or for creating content in any niche, is to figure out, you know, first of all, who else is covering that niche and is it defensible? Uh, is it small enough that there's not major brands ready in? I mean, I wouldn't start a blog that was competing with Mashable right now. Uh, it's probably self-serving to say that. I wouldn't start a blog that was competing <laughs> with a gadget right now. Because to be, you know, the biggest uh, gadget blog from, you know, a a cold start is pretty much impossible at this point. So you really need to pick a niche that's underserved, where you can build an audience, where you have a lot of passion, because it takes a massive amount of energy to get this stuff off the ground. And then once you've found that niche and you found that passion that you want to write about, it's fairly easy if you're super uh, interested in the topic to put out a lot of content on that topic and to really, you know, want to scale that up. In terms of, you know, specifically to WordPress, I think. You know, WordPress is pretty self-explanatory. It pretty much gets out of the way on the tech side and lets you uh, focus on creating the content. And we obviously are big on building um, communities elsewhere. I mean, we're obviously big fans of you know networking with our readers elsewhere than on Mashable. And I think that for us has delivered a lot of value. Um, that kind of external networking, but in terms of actually on WordPress. I mean, you can really build a community by just replying to your comments and being really engaged in your own blog and making that your number one destination where you're pushing a lot of people back to. In terms of using WordPress technically, I think the great thing is that it just gets out of the way and you don't need to worry too much about that stuff apart from making sure that you use copious amounts of tags so that your uh, site is you know, well connected in terms of uh, topics being related to one another, related posts being related to one another. Um, and I think you know, just using those features, using the tagging feature extensively to make sure that it's really well organized when you come back. I think one of my biggest regrets maybe from early on was that I was really not that thorough in terms of making sure that everything had 
every single tag it could possibly want. It becomes a lot harder to find your stuff, and it becomes a lot harder retroactively to go and add all those tags that you want to add to make sure that people can still find your old content. So tag but, stuff, I guess, is my is my main tip for using WordPress. That's <laughs> an interesting point, though, Pete, because you know when you're a publisher, content discovery is obviously key. I mean, do you have any any other tips for people who you know are trying to drive those page views and trying to make sure that that you know readers are finding related content. Yeah, well, one thing that Mashable does is we try and define a uh, a continuing storyline so that the you know when we're talking about um, and and one of the reasons we do that actually is because Mashable has a fairly broad base of non-technical readers. So we always try and uh, cross-reference a lot of our articles. So if you're starting at the very top of the uh, of the pipe, you might be you know reading about I know iPhone four possibly coming to Verizon here. And you know you don't have the backstory on the rumors of Verizon iPhone that are, that are referenced. You know, cross-referencing that stuff to really make it easy for the readers. You know, it also has that obvious benefit of you know helping uh, automated means, whether that's Google or anyone else, find uh, how your articles are connected and related to one another. So, in terms of discovery, it's always about uh, relating things to other things, whether that's through tags or whether that's through uh, cross-linking on your own site. Uh, you know, external linking helps a great deal as well in terms of discovery because once blogs in your space start to pick up on you, they're going to start linking back to you as well. So it's not just the internal stuff, it's also remembering to link externally whenever you're referencing stuff or even trying to find places at which you can reference uh, other blogs and other publishers in your space. That's actually great for discovery because it brings in new audiences from other blogs. So that ra raises another issue, and you know, Yost, I'm sorry that I'm monopolizing his time, but I mean, <laughs> go, go right ahead. As long as you as you ask the good questions, I won't bother. <laughs> All right. Well, interviewing Pete is you know is kind of well, it's very exciting for me. So, but anyway, the the next thing that it brings me to is, um, you know, in terms of measuring. So you've got you've got your blog set up. You picked your niche. You're interacting with your users. You're passionate about it. You're pulling in you know, references and to other sites and so on and so forth as you develop your stories. And you're trying to move on to the next level. So you're, you need to measure. What kind of uh, tips do you have for measuring? I mean, there's social media, there's typical site analytics. I mean, what kinds of things did you think about over the years, Pete, as you were trying to wrap your head around your progress? We actually do a lot of that stuff. The main thing we use is Google Analytics. Uh, and it's actually pretty phenomenal. It does have its limitations in terms of figuring out, you know, once you get lots of different content types, it, it starts to have some limitations in terms of figuring out what content types are performing better than others. Uh, but it's very, very good for figuring out who your audience is and how you can better uh, target your writing to appeal to that audience. Uh, not just looking at, you know, page views, though, or uniques. You can also look at things like comment counts, really, really valuable. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that we do quite a lot, and perhaps we're unique in this, is we quite closely track uh, social media mentions. So we use uh, various tools. I mean, we use stuff like uh, Social Talk, which is like uh, social media tracking. Uh, we use, obviously, we have people checking our Twitter replies, seeing the volume of those. We check, uh, you know, we monitor numbers on Facebook. Uh, all our likes and fans and what well, you don't call them fans anymore, you call them likers or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we track all that stuff that's happening around it. Um, and actually that 
that can give a fuller picture. You know, one of the problems with just tracking page views or uniques is that you might get that sudden spike where it's a bit of an anomaly. People are Googling something and, and you can't repeat that. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's somewhat more repeatable if you're looking holistically at comment counts, uh, social media mentions, and also, you know, uniques and page views in the mix as well. I'd, I'd like to talk a bit more about that, but before we do that, we'll have to take a commercial break and pay some bills first. So be right back with Pete Cashmore of Mashable. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more WordPress Community Podcast after this. What is this? Why is my website not ranking higher? Well, sounds like you could use a link building report from SEOfox.com. What's that? You can't rank without good backlinks. And SEOfox.com's link building report lets you enter domains and compare their backlinks. It gives a detailed report that shows you why each domain ranks where it does, and it reduces the time it takes to find more links. With SEOfox.com's link building report, you can find more links, use their search marketing services to find more links, or better yet, they could even build your own backlinks. So you think you're pretty sly with that SEOfox link building report. <laughs> Sly like a fox. Get your link building report today at seofox.com. That's seofox.com. Hi, this is Joel Kahn. I want to take a moment to tell you about a revolutionary new theme for WordPress that's going to change the way you make websites. It's called the Socrates theme, and it is the number one WordPress product on ClickBank. You can see it in action right now at SocratesTheme.com. The Socrates theme has a ton of options for customizing your site, but what really makes it stand out is the ability to monetize your site instantly just by entering your ClickBank or AdSense IDs right inside the theme. That's right, there's no plugins needed. Go check it out now at SocratesTheme.com. Did you know? 99designs is a leading marketplace for graphic design on the internet. Did you know? 99designs connects you to a community of over 35,000 designers who will compete to do the best work for you. Did you know? 99designs allows you to post projects for logo design, web page design, t-shirt design, and more. Did you know? 99designs projects need an average of over 70 different design options for a price that you set. 99designs. When designers compete, you win. Watch your shop cart overflow because you found the ecom experts ecom experts mondays at 6 p.m eastern 3 p.m pacific or on demand anytime inside the internet marketing channel only on webmasterradio.fm the wordpress community podcast continues only on webmasterradio.fm once again here's ghost Devok and frederick towns so Pete, we were talking about tracking, and uh, I know you've got a ton of authors on uh, on Mashable. Uh, do you track stuff by author, and and if so, how do you? Uh, what do you do with data like that? Yeah, we attempt to through uh, Google Analytics custom reports, um, which, like I say, are somewhat limiting. And actually, you know, new solutions for tracking are always something that we're super interested in because we feel like a lot of that data still falls short. Um, you know, you obviously have challenges doing it natively within WordPress in terms of uh, the kind of extra stress that's going to put on the database and trying to do it all internally and building that stuff when Google has a pretty solid product um, with one tracking code on your page is somewhat preferable to us. Uh, but it's an ongoing challenge, and we track by author with custom reporting right now. Uh, we'd love to do a better job of it. 
And how do you deal with with stuff like that? Because do you uh, fire authors when they're not getting enough page views or stuff like that? In <laughs> um, we're a little bit more holistic on uh, the, the way that we look at numbers, but certainly, I mean, we also do internal stat tracking where uh, everyone gets a daily report, and that is done internally in the install. Um, where everyone gets a report of everyone's page use uh, for the three days prior. So it you know, waits three days and then it sends everyone a report. Um, and that stuff is, is generally more a case of everyone seeing everyone else's performance and you know, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. So it's a bit more of a team effort where you might say, oh, wow, that person did an article on this topic and it really flew. I might do an article on that uh, next week. I don't think we've ever had a case where you said, hey, your page views are terrible, you're out. Uh, but we've certainly had cases where you've said, uh, your page views are terrible, you need to be covering you know, these topics that are working for you. Uh, there's generally with most authors some topic that they're both passionate about and which our audience is very passionate about and involved in and engaged with. Uh, so we definitely try and push authors to covering stuff that both you know, excites them and excites our audience. It's a little bit more holistic than you know, you're not getting the numbers, you're out. Yeah. Okay, but how how did you go from a single because you started out as your own, right? How did you go from the single author model to a multi author model? Uh technically or in terms of business? I no, mean, no, why did that happen and and how how did you make it happen? More in terms right. of business, not technically. Yeah, I think uh well Mashable was always, you know, a topic blog. It wasn't really um about me in any sense, and a lot of the the blogs that were starting them were more kind of personal interest focused and didn't necessarily have a direction that was beyond the author's kind of mixed interest. So I started seeing a lot of stuff happening in social media and in web technology that was kind of beyond my ability to to cover. I mean, I could only put out like eight to ten posts a day. You can't do anything more than that. And when there's a lot more happening uh, in the space than you can hope to cover, and you're not really serving a reader because you're not getting enough volume out there. Uh, you don't have enough resources to cover everything that's happening. Uh, I took on uh, a second author. It's probably, I think it might have been like almost a year in. It must have been just before a year in. I, you know, I firstly, you know, had an advertiser come to me, and I think it was like user plane or someone, and said, "Hey, we want to give you three thousand dollars to stick an ad in your on your sidebar." And I'm like, "Great!" And obviously, you, you take that money and you say, "Well." You know, if I can get regular ad revenue coming in, and obviously AdSense was building at that point, I can probably afford to take on one more author and, you know, assign them, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I wasn't able to cover because I just couldn't keep up with everything that was happening in the web space. And it kind of grew from there. It's pretty uh, straightforward, the business model for blogs, which is that when you have the money, you hire someone else, and you keep scaling up after that, and at some point, you start hiring someone to manage all the stuff that isn't writing, stuff like you know, your ad sales, your biz dev, because you end up with a lot of stuff, a lot of relationships to manage that aren't necessarily about you writing stuff, but are about things like advertisers, or they're about things like, you know, doing partnerships with uh, other blogs, for instance. So there's a lot of stuff that piles up that starts to not be related to writing, and you just, you know, when you have the money, you add those people, and that's how you bootstrap a blog. So, and that's how much... I'm sorry, Yos, but I was just saying, Pete's very modest about it all, but, you know, that guy is one of the hardest working people I've ever seen. Yeah, really nice how stuff. many people is Smashable now? Uh, we're around about 30. Okay. So we're kind of small business right now, small to medium business. For a blog, it's, it's 
fairly large number. I mean, it makes us one of the bigger blogs. But yeah, in terms of a, an international business, you can actually run a blog on fairly few people compared to uh, how many people you're reaching. And and how do you then find the, the because you you started off with a sponsor, they came to you. Um, yeah, they did actually. We've been really fortunate, and that's what's great about blogging is that people know your business exists, and you don't necessarily have to go out there, at least not to start with. I was really focused on putting out the content. It didn't really occur to me that uh, you know I should also be focused on uh, building the revenue and selling the ads, at least not early on. I was really just trying to get the content out there and cover the space as, as faithfully as I could. Um, but yeah, fortunately, the first few advertisers did approach us. And also, when you're starting out in a blog, uh, stuff like AdSense, where it's fairly automated and it's fairly predictable, is actually a pretty good starting point. It won't get you masses of revenue, but uh, it saves you having to think about that revenue piece so much for a little while. I, I, know, I was never able to make good money with, with AdSense, but it could be that I was just too late when I started blogging. Uh, I've heard great stories about it in, in when it was 2005, 2006, but I don't know how it is now. Um, you know, AdSense varies. It's... Uh... It's one of those things that converts really well if you're very, very on topic um, and it doesn't do so well if, if, you're, uh, if you're not going to be in a market that's high converting for advertisers. So it's a mixed picture. I think for any blogger, it's always great to be able to get to a point where you're doing a direct sales to people who understand your brand and who are supportive of uh, your, your broader mission rather than people who just want to buy page views, who obviously will pay a lot, lot less. And uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily be a repeat customer for you. Yeah. So, Pete, do you have, uh, you know, has have you looked? Well, I, I guess this question's kind of uh, loaded a bit, but I mean, do, does Mashable continue to look for new sponsorships and uh, and partnerships proactively, or is it still something that that kind of just continues to snowball from the momentum of the, the growth itself? No, I mean, we we totally changed our strategy on that, and we did actually start hiring uh, on that side. I mean, we have a partner on the ad sales side as well um, that handles uh, a lot of that stuff. But, yeah, we do that internally, and we definitely go out there and seek out uh, partners and sponsors, not just for the site, but we do a lot more uh, besides the site in terms of events. We just had a big conference in the summer, uh, well, I guess in June, so the spring uh, probably, and then we have... Um, a few other events coming up later in the year, so uh, we have a summer tour coming up. So there's there's kind of broader than the blog in terms of going out there and getting sponsors uh, and getting advertisers. And sometimes we can, you know, you can sell them across both platforms. When you have an events business and you have a blog business, uh, you can you can you know find sponsors who want to sponsor both or want the cachet of being at your events or being on your site. So uh, we definitely are a lot more proactive now, and we have the time now. I think one of the challenges when you're starting out a blog is you're so focused on the content, you don't necessarily have the time to multitask and spend, you know, you can't spend half your day writing breaking tech news and the other half selling ads because you're going to miss all the news in the second half of the day. So um, it's kind of like a baby, a news blog. It's like you can't, <laughs> you can't leave it alone because it'll like, so, some news will break. And, you know, I think a lot of bloggers in the early days were like, I certainly couldn't leave my blog alone. I wouldn't sleep. I'd be like, sleep six hours in case you know something broke in in the European time zone uh, while I was asleep. And I think 
you know, when you're starting out a blog, it's really tough to bootstrap it in that way, especially if you're focused on breaking news, because you really can't take your eye off that. So anything you try and do is going to be in the five minutes where you're not obsessively monitoring your RSS feeds and your inbox and your tips and all the other inputs that you've got. But fortunately, we've put together a really solid editorial team now, and I can spend a bit more time doing all those extra things that come along when you're actually a business rather than a blog. So do you, Pete, do you feel like, you know, well, two things. One, it really sounds like diversification from, you know, in terms of the coverage, you know, the stories uh, that is brought to the readership has been instrumental in Mashable's success. And it also sounds like diversification from the standpoint of business development and where the revenue is obtained is vital. So I just wanted to highlight and call those out for the listeners. But my question is, do you feel like WordPress really made it easy for you to cover the breaking news much more easily than it otherwise would? I mean, I remember movable type and things like that um, in the years past. It, it, you know, you could do what you needed to do, but it, it just seems to me like WordPress and your ability to schedule posts, easily work with multiple authors now with the revisions and all this other wonderful stuff. Do you feel like pushing out breaking news is easy with WordPress? I think what it comes down to is that WordPress essentially gets out of your way. One thing that WordPress does take care of you don't have to worry about so much is your SEO. I mean, WordPress is pretty good on the SEO front, and I think uh, that was where WordPress was really a boon for us because we didn't need to worry too much about that piece. It takes care of a lot of that stuff for you, and it ranks well, um, and Google's going to find your articles if you're writing on WordPress. So I'd say from an SEO angle, WordPress is super, super useful. Um, but I think it, it generally just takes care of itself, and it's not so much that... WordPress has any special magical feature that's going to make your uh, your content uh, you know be really successful, but it it does have that uh, unnoticed feature, which is the fact that it really handles all the tech side for you, and you just have to worry about writing the article and getting it out there. So, are there features, Pete, that that you and the rest of the team are using on a daily basis in the uh, in the actual editor that that you think? many people aren't typically using something that you might want to highlight as a tip for someone out there? Um, I mean, we use, we use a bunch of stuff that's kind of custom. Um, well, you don't have to tell editor. us any trade secrets, but uh, anything in general that, you know, maybe is an underused thing by someone just getting started, perhaps? Um, you know, I think we're, we use like a categorization system that's that we call channels, which is unique from our perspective and lets us organize stuff into big uh, pots. Um, but that's kind of unique to our install. I'm trying to think of anything that uh, that maybe other people could have access to uh, that we do. I mean, we use uh, some social plugins. We obviously, our buttons are um, a plugin. And, you know, that proves pretty useful to us to have those, uh, you know, one of them, Sweet Meme, for instance, that performs well for us because we have that social media audience. Um, but in terms of you know, using uh, features, we, we pretty much stick to the the default install apart from the stuff that we've custom built for ourselves. We certainly don't use uh, many plugins that we haven't tweaked in any major way. Okay. Um, Yost, do you have anything at the moment? Uh, yeah, well, I, I was wondering, what is the, uh, if you look at the statistics a lot, what's the, the biggest way for you to break a story now? Is that Twitter or is most traffic coming from something else. You know what's interesting about blogs is that the traffic sources have really evolved from when I started five years ago. Um, it was really Google heavy 
uh, when I started out, you know, a lot of blogs would have had like 80% Google traffic. Um, that's definitely fallen for us as a percentage of overall traffic. And there have become many, many other sources of traffic. I think social media is obviously big for all blogs right now. You have things like Twitter, like Facebook, where people are sharing your stories and you don't have masses of control over what's going to get shared a huge amount, but certainly our core stuff tends to get shared a bunch. You know, when we're writing about social media topics, it stands to reason that the people share that on social media sites. Um, so I'd say that social media has grown. I wouldn't say that there's any, you know, what's really nice about Mashable's traffic in particular, there's no uh, one traffic source that really stands out. People kind of imagine that Twitter is like, you know, a massive amount of our, of our traffic. I'd imagine it's like in the 10% range, but it's not, it's not huge uh, as a percentage of the other stuff. So, you know, we have a lot of direct, we have a lot of Twitter and Facebook and Google, and we also have, you know, partners who push a lot of traffic to us. So it's kind of, it's across the board. If I were building a blog now, I'd say that the easy win is obviously social media and building up networks there and having a lot of kind of uh, cheerleaders in the social uh, media realm so that they can be sharing out your stuff for you. Because, you know, like I say, when you're building a blog, you really want to focus on the content and not all the uh, extraneous stuff like, how do I sell ads? How do I build a business? How do I do my uh, my sharing piece and get my content out there? You can build a community of people who are doing that for you. That's definitely allowing you to focus more on the content. So in answer to your question about what traffic sources, I think from our perspective, uh, all of them, and that would include social media and search and uh, direct and partnerships. It's kind of a broad swathe. And also, you know, the, the other thing that's growing and that bloggers kind of keeping an eye on this mobile. There's a lot, I mean, we have an iPhone app which has like about 130,000 installs right now. So there's a lot of people uh, following Mashable on mobile. Um, if you are on Android, you'll find that our Android app is actually in the store, though we haven't announced that yet. Um, and we also have an iPad app, which is really, really successful as well. I can't remember what the numbers are. I think it's like 40,000 installs, something like that. So there's a lot more access happening on mobile for us. And that's all, obviously, our core audience who know that Mashable exists and want to follow Mashable on mobile. So it's everything. People follow blogs on every medium, and it's not just Google anymore. No, it, it's. Uh, I noticed when I uh, was looking at Mashable today that uh, you mentioned it, the, the story about Verizon uh, possibly starting to sell the iPhone. You see a, a bunch of tweets and Facebook shares, and then you see 10 digs. And then I go around the site and I see that, well, uh, you seem to be performing quite well in, in just about anything except for Dig, which seems So to Dig's be been dead. problematic for publishers, but they're about to do a relaunch, which they hope will fix that. Uh, so I'm interested. I'm keeping my eye on them. And we're going to see uh, whether they're able to kind of, uh, you know, bring back Dig as a source of traffic for blogs. It certainly, it was huge maybe, you know, three years ago, maybe four years ago when I started out. Certainly everyone wanted to... Uh, Beyond Dig, and then it kind of, it kind of took a backseat to Twitter and Facebook, where there was a lot more sharing going on. You didn't need to, you didn't really need to reach any critical mass. I mean, you look at that Dig button; it has ten digs. Um, the problem there is obviously that ten digs is useless to you. You either need front page, or you've got nothing on Dig. And they're changing that model with the new Dig, which is coming out. And we're just uh, testing the V4 right now, and the model is more like you know Twitter-like model, where if if you guys share something, I'm going to see it because I'm your friend. So I think yeah. they're, they might become a better source of traffic for blogs. The, the jury's really out on that one until they 
launch their new version and try and they're definitely trying to take on the Twitter threat and the Facebook threat because they're really feeling that. If you look at like buttons, we have like buttons on all our articles. That could almost be a replacement for the dig button if they don't watch out. So keeping an eye on the new dig and seeing if that becomes a traffic source for blogs, but it's certainly faded in the last couple of years we've seen. Yeah, I, I remember. That, I was going to say that dig also made some strategic changes that weren't really good for publishers and, and basically in hijacking, for lack of a polite term, um, the reader, right? When uh, yeah. ultimately, so. you're talking about things like the dig bar. Exactly. So let's yeah. uh, quick go to a break uh, uh, and come back with more with Pete Cashmore. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more WordPress community podcast after this. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PRWebAuthor.com. If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24-7 to help you optimize your content for maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR web release date, your website would have so much traffic, you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to PRWebOffer.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online release news and content distribution service. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. SEM Synergy, live broadcast Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The WordPress Community Podcast continues, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Yost Ivok and Frederick Towns. Okay, so... Pete, one of the things that Mashable has done right, uh, right from the uh, from the beginning, as far as I can tell, um, is the branding part of a, of a blog. Um, the name was good, of course, but it seems to be, you've created a brand more than you've created yourself as a person. Um, how do you do that? Because I feel utterly at it all the time. You know, I think it's very challenging. I think it's somewhat lucky to, you know, when I 
name of the site. I wanted something that didn't necessarily carry any connotations of being in a particular vertical, because when you start out blogging, you really don't know uh, what's going to take your interest. So if you call it something really narrow, you limit yourself into where you can expand to. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. You can certainly launch new sites and new verticals if you decide that you want to cover lots of different topics. It's certainly something that most of the major blog networks do rather than having everything on one site under one name. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was kind of fortunate that I that I saw that and chose something that was fairly generic to start with so that it could go in any direction. It certainly has evolved as a brand. And in terms of, you know, Mashable being a brand, I think, um, you know, we, we really do try hard. I mean, events are, you know, something that's really good for branding for us because it gets our name out there. It gets people talking about us as a brand. Um, and brand's very important to us in terms of even the way we market ourselves on various social networks, on other, on other sites outside of Mashable. Uh, so it's kind of a holistic strategy with both uh, choosing something that's fairly generic when you start out. And then obviously we do a lot of promotion that's off-site in terms of events. And we're actually doing, uh, you know, talking about branding and talking about events, we're actually doing Social Media Day tomorrow, where it's really a chance for our communities to connect around, you know, the topics they're passionate about, which is things like, you know, blogging, social media, uh, tech to some extent. And we've got, uh, I'm just looking at the numbers now, we've got 9,700 people meeting up tomorrow in 604 uh, cities around the world. And, you know, when we talk about branding, what we're really talking about is how many people are talking about what you do and your name and connecting around you as a common point of familiarity. You know, you say you like Mashable, it identifies something about you. So events are really valuable for that. And, you know, like say we're doing a meetup tomorrow, which is Social Media Day. And that's another that's another branding uh, opportunity for us when we're really letting people have those many-to-many -many connections around the Mashable brand as a as a common connector. Yeah, so the, the reason you do the, the events is pure fun, or is it purely because of branding? Um, well, I mean, this particular event, we certainly don't make any money off it, so it's not like it's a, this one is a revenue driver. I think for us, there's, there's definitely a lot of... Uh, definitely a lot of brand value, but I think more so there's a lot of value in just saying, you know, we're we're a common point of contact between a lot of people. What if, you know, you're in, uh, you know, the middle of Scotland and you can't find anyone who's interested in the same stuff as you, which is the, the challenge that I had when I was starting up. Nobody in, nobody in Scotland even knew what this social media thing was, let alone, uh, you know, was writing about it. And now, you know, as of tomorrow, you can go to meet up in Forres, which is this tiny little town in the middle of Scotland where you wouldn't imagine there'd be that many social media people, but because they're all connected around Mashable, you can suddenly find that there's, you know, 10, 20 people in, in this little town in Scotland who are interested in the same stuff as you. So I think it's more about if we offer value to our readers and we offer that connection that, that I kind of wished I'd have when I was starting out, uh, that's eventually going to deliver value back to us. We don't need to measure it in a very direct way. But if people are connecting around social media, then it can only be good for us because as social media grows, we grow, there's going to be more of a demand for, for coverage of this topic. So it's almost taking social media and making it even bigger than, than our brand. And as long as people are talking and connected and connected between one another, and by the way, are interested in Mashable, then you know all the better for us. So you know, I don't think there's any uh, direct strategic 
brand play there. I think it's more a case of let's let our readers do what they want to do and get value out of our brand, and that's eventually going to bounce back to us. For the listeners, though, there's something, there's a number of very subtle points that Pete made. One of them is that um, your brand ultimately, when you're, when you're at least focused on a niche and, uh, and passionate about it, your, your brand personifies uh, the mission of the company. And I know that's kind of a convoluted sentence, but the point is that Mashable actually seeks to solve the same problem consistently for its readers in various, uh, various ways. And I think that's one of the cornerstones of a successful business, whether it's a blog or, or not. You know, are you consistent in addressing a problem and doing it well uh, for your, your customers or your readers or your subscribers, whatever the, the metric is? So I just wanted to make sure that that was clear because that's that's phenomenal. I mean, that's that's how you become successful, I think. Yeah, the thing is, uh, uh, Mashable seems to have evolved beyond uh, uh, what I was going at before, beyond the person, and that is something that most blogs don't seem to be able to do. So I'm trying to to get to how how you made that move from uh, yeah making it. Um, such a big thing because it's it's usually it, it, the style of the original offer keeps creeping into everything that people do and I, I, I don't think I see that that much as Mashable or I might be wrong there. No, I think that's true and I've certainly stepped out of editorial more so over uh, over recent years. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's an ability to find a commonality in a group of people who are really passionate about the core interest. So, you know, people who are really interested in what's happening on the web um, are going to gravitate to Mashable, and obviously we find writers who are passionate about the same things and allow us to expand in various directions covering what's happening on the web. I think I personally wasn't ever interested in writing about me. I was more interested in, wow, look at all these amazing things that people are launching on the web, and it's, you know, I'm still amazed by it now when these companies, you know, we covered YouTube when it started out, um, you know, like, hey, this, this video startup is quite cool. Look, it's doing these flash embeds on, on MySpace. This could really work. Um, but even at that time, it wasn't necessarily clear. And it's really phenomenal to watch that process, uh, you know, happening of, of, a start, of a startup coming from a field of lots and lots of players and then, you know, suddenly growing up to take over the world. So I think, you know, I was really looking to find a group of people who are passionate about that, that core idea and making it idea centric rather than making it you know person centric which is obviously not very scalable and never going to get you uh, anywhere beyond yourself because you only have x many hours in the day you can only put out x many posts a day and you only have a certain amount of energy to put out 10 posts a day for a few years before you start to burn out a little bit uh, so you definitely need to identify a niche identify a demographic find a group of people who have the same passions hire within that group market to that group and build something that's that's greater than yourself and that uh, ties together a community of people who have the same passion. That's a formula to me. What do you think, Yost? <laughs> yeah, it sure sounds like one. I'm, I'm trying to think how to replicate this onto myself. That's a bit hard, uh, but uh, I'll figure that out somewhere, someday. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just baffled by Pete. You, you talked me to death and in, in a good way. <laughs> well, it's fun. I think Pete is definitely one of our more interesting uh, guests and no, uh, no, um, 
you know, no disrespect to anyone else, but I mean, Pete's pretty captivating with a lot of these remarks. So hopefully this is helpful. Yeah. Well, what I was wondering, Pete, I was thinking before we, we a while back we had uh, Brent Payne on who works for Tribune. Uh, Tribune mm -hmm. being one of the larger publishers in the U.S. for those of us living in Europe. Um, they're now moving a lot of their stuff over to WordPress and they're starting to approach news a lot more like blogging. Um, do you think they missed the boat or are they still are companies like that still on time and are, are still doing the right thing? I think if you have an established brand, you get a lot more leeway than you do as a as someone starting out. I do think it's probably more challenging to start a blog and become a major player at this point. That said, you know, there's always new opportunities opening up in the market and if you're if you're looking to launch in the mode of like, you know, an Engadget or Weblogs Inc. or Gawker or any of that kind of early plays, I think the time for those plays is done, but there's a lot of room for new plays in terms of, you know, we didn't have all this uh, social networking, social media type stuff when we started out. We didn't have um, a lot of the new options for both uh, finding audience, building audience and maintaining an audience to your content. So there's always like new opportunities and, you know, doors closing and new ones opening. So it's never a bad time to start with a good idea. I think if you're the Tribune, really, you've probably got enough uh, audience that you're not going to lose that audience if you're a couple years later than everyone else. So probably not too late for them, uh, better late than never. The ideal time for them getting into blogging would have definitely been like a 2005 time frame. But, you know, they didn't necessarily know that, that was going to take off. And they're, you know, you're a little bit more risk averse when you've got a an existing uh, business model that you want to protect. And you don't necessarily want to give too much uh, sway to these blogs that are looking to maybe uh, take a bite out of the, the pie that you're, you know, that currently forms the vast majority of your revenue. So, you know, I think they're they're good to get into it. And if you're a newspaper, you can you get plenty of leeway because your audience hasn't left you quite yet. Well, quite yet. They've lost a lot of subscribers, as have most newspapers. Um, well, some have, and some have managed to do the digital transition fairly well. Um, I'm yeah, curious you know, what Pete thinks about. Um, the things that uh, Murdoch is doing and uh, yeah, what that I mean, might mean for bloggers or not. It really depends what you want to prioritize. I mean, it's pretty clear that the WSJ um, makes a bunch of money, even though it's a much, much smaller publication as a result of erecting a bunch of paywalls. Um, so it's, it really depends what you want out of your business for, for stuff that's really targeted to an audience that has a lot of money and it's need to know now kind of thing and is really dedicated to your brand like the WSJ is, uh, has that audience. I think, you know, it, it can work for them. I, my preference, and it's partially just because that's my DNA as a blogger, and it's partially because, you know, I, I'm very much focused on the way that we uh, concur value or we infer value by linking to one another. I much prefer not having paywalls up and offering the content for free and figuring out ways to you know, deliver value on that content, whether that's selling that audience to an advertiser or doing uh, you know, higher revenue stuff built onto that, like events, um, then that's the kind of stuff that I prefer to do. I think you know, it's going to be interesting to see if anyone ever makes a model uh, where you pay for content and it actually works uh, in an efficient way. I mean, certainly opportunities around the iPad, around mobile, where people might pay for that stuff. But, you know, the early stuff I've seen with things like iPad magazines almost seems like an attempt to uh, put the genie back in the bottle rather than 
uh, try and move the medium forward and you know it has all these problems like iPad apps don't link to one another and you just you just create all the old problems you used to have with old media so right now I'm firmly out of the Murdoch camp but I never say never uh, on paid content models there may eventually be models that work for paid content just as there have been models where people will pay for iPhone apps even though we didn't expect them to be paying for software anymore once we move to the web. Well, that's interesting, Pete, because, you know, when you look at, I mean, you're a, a columnist at CNN.com as well, and I think you also had a recent post that spoke to, you know, the iPad magazine and the lack of linkage, <laughs> or the lack of links, I think is a clearer way to say it. Do you, obviously, I, I think that, that problem will be addressed. Do you think when it is, when people finally realize that they haven't really solved anything or made anything easier on that medium, do you think uh, do you think that will open some uh, some new doors when they finally get it right, or do you think it's just something else? You know, I think that's a, that's an intrinsic problem with the app model right now is that you can't link to something within an app. I guess they could do some kind of fusion of having you know web hosted content that's only accessible once you have the app, and the app is kind of a doorway. Um, I'm kind of skeptical on paid models in general, uh, and I think you know they really need to figure out the link problem with iPad apps. How are you going to link to Articles that are that are locked behind paywalls. Can you do so? Can you reference them if people can't get access? So, I'm kind of a little bit uh, bearish on on the iPad's ability to monetize. What publishers love about it is that it's a great way to create scarcity again and make people pay for stuff. I'm kind of skeptical on that stuff because, you know, we, we've definitely seen that when you offer a free alternative, uh, people gravitate to that. The only exception might be if you look at music. Uh, people will pay 99 cents for a song if it's you know higher quality and easier access. So there might be a price point at which content you know is a few cents and might be accessible through iTunes or whatever medium you're using. But overall, I'm kind of skeptical on that stuff panning out well in the next you know couple months at least. You might need to see something in like a year time frame where someone creates an iPad app that you pay for and it supports you know linking between various articles and you know it's a fairly good solution to the problem. But I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's uh, something for Apple to figure out in the, in the years to come. Um, we're, we've run out of time, like totally. Uh, although I'd like to keep on talking for hours and hours, uh, we can't. So, Pete, I want to thank you for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, awesome to be here. Well, Thanks very much. Uh, and uh, well, yeah, we we hope you can, you'll come back at some point in the future when you've got great news about Mashable. Um, and Frederick, uh, once again, as always, thanks for being here. We'll skip the plug-in tips of the week so we get to keep our ones and, and use them next week, which is actually good news on my side. Um, and thanks, uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be here again next week on Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. GMT. Uh, be there and uh, we'll have more fun. Thanks. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.